History leaves a permanent mark, and that mark is a mansion in a little area around Los Angeles called Los Feliz. The mansion remained frozen in time since December 6, 1959. During that dark night in December, Dr. Harold Perelson murdered his wife and attempted to murder his children in a frenzied hammer attack. He then later killed himself after realizing what he had done. Fifty years later, the mansion was left as a time warp with the Perelson's furniture, mail, clothing, and even a Christmas tree with wrapped presents that remained there as a reminder of the mansion's violent past. Soon visitors started reporting paranormal activity, which led to the abandoned mansion to be the focus of an internet obsession. What mysteries lie within the mansion? What clues inside might explain what possessed Dr. Perelson to destroy everything that he loved? Who are the new owners who purchased such a dark home? This is the true crime and paranormal aftermath of the Los Feliz murder house. Welcome back to Holly Weird Paranormal. We hope that you're having a good day, week, month. Life. I know. <laughs> Afterlife. Ooh. I know. Isn't that freaky? Shout out to our ghost listeners. I know. Seriously. <laughs> you're here for the booze, right? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> How's your week going, Bryce? It's been going really well. How's yours been? It's been pretty chill so yeah. far. It's been a little crazy, mm-hmm. as you know. Yes. At work. Always. I know. Didn't you like my little Instagram post? I, it, oh, my God. It did freak me out. Yes. Um, here's the thing, though. Those oranges would probably be delicious. They're super fertilized. So. I know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not mad about it. <laughs> if you guys didn't catch last week's episode, do so yes. if you want to get this joke. But uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> they're, be, they're like, who? What are they talking They're like, about? orange grows. <laughs> we really love citrus. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when there's been a dead body buried underneath. Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> I am a little nervous for tonight because I'm supposed to be dressing up like I'm just a blast out of the past from yeah. <laughs> Studio 54. Yes. I'm most likely will be posting pictures, guys, yes. on our Instagram. But I have to get ready tonight for a Studio 54 themed roller party nice i'm a little nervous little nervous because i am wearing a costume and i'm nervous of falling and ripping out of that costume oh yeah i didn't yeah. Even think of that <laughs> i mean i do not I, i'm very tall so i don't <laughs> like to add height or wheels to myself ever it's a long way to fall if it i is. keep falling so oh, i don't yeah because you're super tall <laughs> yeah i just wouldn't ever stop falling so <laughs> So good for you for being much braver than me. I'll just sit on the sidelines like wave like your Hi. mom. Hi. Don't hurt yourself. Don't fall. Play <laughs> nice with the other kids. <laughs> so are you ready for today's episode? I'm ready. I'm always ready. Of course you are. So <laughs> guys, if you've heard it in the beginning, uh, we're going to be talking about a very infamous house here in Los mm. Angeles. It's called the Los Feliz Murder House. And it's one of our many creepy homes mm-hmm. here, aside from the American Horror Story Terror House. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot to talk about with this yes. house because it's intense. It's very, it's very crazy. The history mm-hmm. of what happened in that house and who even purchased the house right afterwards. It's it's insane. So to start off with a little preface or a little mm-hmm. prologue. What is up with America's obsession with haunted homes or murder houses? Mm -hmm. And its most infamous one to date will always be the three-story colonial home in Amityville on New York's Long Island. (laughs) And if you've been living under a rock since the 70s, there in 1974, 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo Jr. murdered his whole entire family Mm -hmm. and claimed to be uh, possessed by a demon. Or a, an Indian spirit. Don't blame the Indians. I know. Not, like, how dare he? They're not about that life. We've done enough to them. I know. You don't get to blame them <laughs> for your family. No. No, no. Mm-mm. And then, of course, we have Jeffrey Dahmer's home. Ooh. That is 
very creepy and the conjuring home where the Perone family lived and follow following that story was, you know, the Warner Brothers movie, mm-hmm. The Conjuring One and Two. Love them. So you have all these homes that America has this crazy obsession with, and then a part of that collection of homes is the Los Feliz murder house. Yeah. So as you heard in the intro, what really caused Harold to attack his family and kill himself? Mm-hmm. And we don't want to know Harold Perelson as the crazy doctor that hammered mm-hmm. off his his wife and attempted to kill the rest mm-hmm. of his family. We got to get to know Harold Perelson as a person. Hmm. What drove him? What you know made him attempt such a horrific act? So let's do some little cliff notes on Harold yeah. Perelson before we hit the night of December 6, mm-hmm. 1959. And Bryce is going to take us to church with that story because <laughs> it's mm. fucking creepy. Mm-hmm. All right. So first off, Harold Perelson was born February 1st, 1909 in New York and was the eldest of four. His father, Henry, was a Polish printer's clerk and his mother, Molly, mm. was Russian. And she was just, you know, just a housewife there to like pretty much help her husband, you know, survive and just pushed through you know such mm-hmm. a terrible time in russia so they escaped and fled eastern europe to escape the repression shortages and chronic unemployment mm-hmm. so they end up in queens new york alongside hundreds of immigrants that were there for a better life so the family has you know almost a true rags to almost riches story mm-hmm. they work from the bottom and they work their way all the way up 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 I want to say to a comfortable living. So they work their asses off in sweatshops, soon move up and leap into somewhat of a middle class growth. uh, Henry is able to send Harold off to medical school so Harold can become a doctor. And he does well and decides to leave New York and move to sunny California, where he lands a job in an Inglewood physician's office, published several papers in the field of neurology, mm-hmm. and later became a cardiology professor at the USC School of Medicine. So he is making bank mm-hmm. doing that. And this splendor of a facade is it's gonna come to a short end because he meets Lillian. And Aww. Lillian, you know, is his you know, first and only wife. And she is another one that comes from a second generation immigrant family. And she's from Ohio. They Shout out. <laughs> they had three children, Judy, Debbie, and Joel. And they were shopping around from homes. And Lillian's like, no, I want to live in a brand spanking new big old mansion. So they find this mansion in the neighborhood of Los Feliz mm. at a price of, are you ready, Bryce? $60,000. Oh my god. I know. That is ridiculous. In the in the late 50s, 60 grand for a mansion in Los Feliz. That's half a million dollars in today's money. Dude. I know. But for the son of a Polish clerk, it was amazing. Uh-huh. It was extraordinary. We see Dr. Perelson, you know, on the outside, he's thriving. Mm-hmm. He is making bank. He is, you know, he has the family, he has the home, he has everything. He has the life. But this splendor facade is not what seems what it seems to be on the outside. Harold falls in some very hard times, and it all starts out with a patent he had filed for a medical device of his own invention. So the attachment is a hypodermic syringe that was designed to inject drugs directly from a sealed glass capsule, reducing the danger of contamination and spillage. And after developing this patent, he soon's going to a verbal agreement, which is Ooh. no bueno. No, Should have always, always have everything in writing with a gentleman called Edward Shustak, a man he hoped would turn his general idea of the syringe or his product into a medical hit. So Perelson and Shustak agreed to split the profits 50-50. Harold and Lillian Perelson sunk 25 grand into the project. 7,000 of that 25 grand came out of Lillian's own savings. Mm. And Shustak spent 11 more years developing the magic syringe for sale, but had no intention of giving the doctor any money, which is fucked up. And a complaint filed in July of 1952, Perelson claimed that Shustak, using a fake name, spirited away his rights to the device. So Perelson sued... And was trying to take Shustak to court, demanding the compensation of a hundred thousand dollars, nearly nearly a million dollars in today's money. Oh my god! But the case was long and drawn out, and after two years of expensive legal posturing, the court only awarded Perelson just twenty four grand. 
and it is not known if the syringe ever came out to market. It's not known if it, you know, was a mm-hmm. bit of a big hit. But I mean, he made it. It, it was twenty four grand, a thousand dollars less of what they put in. Oh my god, which is terrible. Soon, you got to sign those contracts. I know. No verbal. Always yeah. have it in writing. That's, Always that's have it the in thing. writing. Friends and money, man. I that know. Just gets money so messy. changes everything. I tell you that. Oh. Soon, Judy, the oldest, gets into a humongous car accident with her younger siblings. So Judy is the oldest. She's 16 mm-hmm. years old, is driving her father's old Oldsmobile and collides with another car. Mm. Judy suffered hand and knee injuries, concussion and severe shock. Young Joel had a head injury and severe shock of the nervous system. And little Debbie had a sliced cheek. Mm. So the other driver, Eleanor Keller, claimed that Judy, then 16, drove through a red light without looking. But Dr. Perelson took the Keller family to court, claiming Eleanor's carelessness and negligence is what caused the crash. He demanded $20,000 per daughter and another $10,000 for his son. So he wins, but the court only awards him a fraction of what he sought out which is only enough to cover the children's medical bills. So it was another bittersweet victory for the Perelson family in the courts, but it was another blow to the family's finances. Mm. But it seemed like the family was just blowing money left and right. Like, you know, like it was just coming out of the air, growing Mm -hmm. on trees. Neighbors were called the mother and daughter going on shopping sprees, coming back with bags and bags of dresses and shoes Lillian and Judy both drove very nice sports cars. So everything from the outside, it just looked like they Mm -hmm. weren't struggling at all. However, Judy soon writes a little letter to her aunt explaining to her that she is really worried about her parents and her parents' finances. The parents were having more money problems. And due to all of the stress, her father had suffered from coronaries and was always sent to the coronary wards for treatment. So there... You know, he's like, you know, flushing more money into medical bills of his own personal internal Mm. problems that he was having. But Judy's father, Harold, was changing pretty quickly. So the good doctor is no longer being driven by ambition. He's barely working. He's not even inventing. He doesn't have this need to heal and help Mm. others. He's just slowly drifting away from the family. He's Mm. showing signs of depression which is probably one of the reasons why he has some very interesting choices of reading um, <laughs> that we will definitely cover mm-hmm. later. One of them being, you know, Dante's Divine Comedy. Ooh, light and, reading. I know, just uh-huh. light reading. You know, Breeze nothing, through it. Yeah, I know, it's just very cheerful and light, yeah. you know, very you brisk. Know, you finish Good Housekeeping, you go on to Dante's Divine right, Comedy. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. maybe a little cosmopolitan. Ooh, yeah, mix it up. I know, I know, right? Like... <laughs> <laughs> how to make fancy summer drinks uh, uh-huh so now bryce it, this all leads right. us to what happens in december because all of this change happens in the summer mm-hmm. he hits it and then a couple months later go by we hit december and this is where shit hits yes. the fan. um and that's the thing is like one of the things you kind of touched on too is that there's such like a picturesque kind of like 50s family Mm -hmm. um and that is certainly like the facade that they were projecting is really like affluent and happy picturesque like especially at the holiday time so december 6th he it's just like a super normal evening he comes home you know gets his drink his wife is like making dinner Mm -hmm. they're like wrapping presents because it's the holiday season Mm mm-hmm it's like a super normal night like no fight you know what i mean yeah and and this is all some you know speculation i assume but also these are through the testimonies of the family and these things like just a completely normal evening nothing out of the ordinary again no idea why then this like extreme switch happens so his wife finishes wrapping the presents she goes up to bed She's reading, and he stays downstairs reading the Divine Comedy, knowing that, like, she uh-huh. will be asleep, essentially. Oh, no. Um, and then, like, he then later goes to bed and takes that with him. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And one of the things that, like, reading, uh, I was reading through the LA Weekly article um, that the author of Hollywood Obscura, mm-hmm. he wrote an article based on the chapter in his book about it. Oh, yeah, Brian Clune. Yes, and it's so well-written. God, he's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that really struck me was that he he folded the page down and had like made a little like underline of a passage in the divine comedy and then like went up to bed and like fell asleep super normal fine so then apparently he like wakes up in like the super early hours in the morning like 4 a.m ish goes downstairs (gasps) doesn't like wake his wife up or whatever there's like a tool that like a toolbox that he keeps in the kitchen and he gets a ball peen hammer which is like always the weapon that they choose why like every time i see one i'm like don't don't get it you'll get murdered (laughs) because who even uses a ball peen hammer like you don't need it for anything but murder i know like he's a doctor you think oh man he's gonna get you know like the knife or something or goes for that ball peen hammer and goes back upstairs and bludgeons his wife (sighs) (laughs) i mean to the point that when they later find her body Uh her face is unrecognizable he has no. crushed her. yeah i mean it's this not only incredibly violent attack but like so wrathful and just i mean you really have to exert a fair bit of effort to beat someone's face that much you know what i mean like yeah. it's not just like a one and done thing and this is so graphic but he actually her cause of death was asphyxiation because she drowned in her own blood. No. Mm-hmm. What a way to go out. Horrifying. Oh, no. So, luckily, and this is so crazy to say, but like it kind of is lucky that the attack on her was so violent because Judy, the oldest, hears it. And so she's like waking up. And I mean, God, these kids must have been so traumatized. Oh, yeah. I mean, how do you get over that? I know. But thank God she heard because he then goes out and goes to Judy's room next. And he like goes to strike her. But because she was already awake, she screams. Yeah. And like it's blood curling enough. And she's saying and screaming, don't kill me. Don't kill me. Mm. Loud. I know. Um, Can you imagine? Waking up and seeing your father and, you know, covered in blood. And how, you know, there's that thing of. Well, you know, she was talking to her aunt about, like, all the tension that was happening. Like, you still don't ever think that your parents will hurt you. No. Ever. That is so... Especially, it's not like he had a history of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. I cannot imagine that moment of just, like, oh, he's actually going to kill me. You don't know that person anymore. They're clearly gone. So she actually, because, again, she was already woken up by the sounds in their bedroom she raises her hand and blocks the initial oh. blow and it sends her kind of out of the bed and that noise and her screaming the neighbors hear that so then now they're awake essentially like wait what was that Did we, you know all of that yeah and her siblings hear it and come to see oh, what's happening no. so whether he was not i mean clearly he's not in his right state of mind no but for whatever reason, he leaves Judy's room and sees the younger daughter. And, oh, this is so creepy. He tells her to go back to bed and that she's having a nightmare. Uh, oh, I know. Poor sweet baby. I know. Like, to wake up and see that. Not to mention, these his children, are they already are coming from another state of shock yes. from that accident. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. It's just like, they're done. Like, that's it. Uh, yeah, you... Like they're sorry about your childhood. I don't know. Like permanently <laughs> fucked up. So, and the thing is, is that these kids had such presence of mind in the midst of this horror. So Judy is not incapacitated. He thought, I think that she, because he did hit her in the head and there was some blood, mm-hmm. I think he thought that she would not be able to escape. And so he like went to take and like put the other kids back to bed. Mm hmm. And so while he's telling the younger sister that this is a nightmare, Judy (sighs) flees the house and runs to the next door neighbors who are already awake Mm -hmm. and she calls the cops. And when he goes back into the room to find Judy and finish her, 
that's pure speculation. Like, mm-hmm. we don't know why he went back in the room. And we thank God she got out. Mm-hmm. Um, the younger sister grabs the little brother and they flee the house too. So these Smart. three kids, I know, but I feel like there's so many times where you hear stories and it's like, and we were paralyzed by fear yeah. or they told us to do something. So we just did. And then, you know, it ends up being so much worse, but these kids had like the presence of mind mm-hmm. to escape. Thank God. Mm-hmm. So the cops are on their way. The children have escaped the home. And this is where the story gets, like, I think it's first little dabbling of the lore. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. This story truly has become now so much larger than life. It's Mm -hmm. not just this one murder-suicide. It's now, you know, there's all these speculations that are funneled into it as well. And this is the first one, is how he kills himself. (sighs) Yes. Which also, and this is so callous of me, but if you're going to kill yourself, don't take other people out with you. Yeah. Just either, A, first, please go get help. Like, yeah. don't kill yourself. It's not worth it. B, don't take anyone with you. Like, it's so crazy. Like, why kill your wife? Why? Mm-hmm. Anyway, my little soapbox. <laughs> um, so he ends up taking, I think I saw like 80 pills. Uh, and oh yeah so that's the thing is the first he's a doctor he has you know a bunch of shit in his medicine cabinet mm-hmm. and that is the first rumor is that he actually drank a cup of acid to kill himself that's not true that's just pure speculate or like that was like a rumor that got started mm-hmm. and like became quote unquote fact but he actually killed himself through pills so the police show up they can't really console the children they're like hysterical at this point yeah um they like go inside and like i said they don't recognize her face but he is like passed out Mm -hmm. and died before they got there and he's still like clutching the bloody hammer so obviously it's ruled like Mm -hmm. a murder suicide almost immediately and the children are like shipped off to live with family on Mm -hmm. the east coast they like changed their names Mm -hmm. so they have never spoken about it like no. I think they've just tried to put that in the past and like leave it but th- there's no like official statements that have ever been released from them no I read that Judy tried to change their name like thousands mm-hmm. of times the son uh, he ends up moving to uh, Israel and became a Hasidic and he doesn't want to talk to anyone refuses I don't know what happened to Little Debs. Oh. I know, Little Debs. She started a cookie sandwich company, and yeah. you can buy them at uh, Yes, in my world of many worlds, <laughs> that's what happened to Debs. Little Debbie. I know. Um, and so this is the other creepy part. The quote that Ugh. he had underlined <laughs> in the Divine Comedy reads... Midway upon the journey of our life, I found myself within a forest dark, for the straightforward pathway had been lost. Damn. Oh, <laughs> really? Oh, it's so creepy. Gosh. First off, emo. I know. A, a, a very dramatic. I, I mean, I what? <laughs> in a way, he's a bit narcissistic. A little bit. You know, like, if I'm going to go down, my family's going to go down with me. Yeah. But before I do this, I'm going to leave a little quote. Um, that is insane. Yeah. That's scary. I know. It's just so... The thing for me that I think that is the most... So morbid. Jarring. And yet, God, morbid is such a good word for it. It's mm-hmm. just like the facade of a normal evening at home. Yeah. Like, was he thinking about it while they're like having dinner? Was this planned? Did he wake up and like have a psychotic break Mm -hmm. like what happened in the span of those like eight hours right but it's just so terrifying like normal pre-holiday evening wrapping presents Mm -hmm. and then this horrible atrocity like oh it just makes me so sad for those kids who are now adults so i know i'm sure they're fine i know it's it's why why did he do Mm it was this calculated and I found something, um, and a lot of this is from crime writer Jeff Mache, uh of Medium.com. 
So according to writer Jeff Mache, he interviews Dr. David Adams, who is a, who is a psychologist who specializes in husbands who commit familicide. Oh. There's already a doctor for this. I hate that there's a word for it. Familicide. Mm. I know. I, I mean, this... I mean, we've seen it happen. Sure. We've seen it happen. So he says, a man who murders his wife and at least one uh, child tends to be an older gentleman in his 50s and an average of seven years older than his spouse. Dr. Perelson was 50 years old and eight years older than Lillian. Whoa. Many of these guys, these types of perpetrators, are very invested in their public image, he says. When there is a prospect that their reputation or status can be harmed, they suffer a narcissistic injury. So their murders are almost like a type of damage control. And it is likely, Dr. Adams believes, that the doctor's mental health and the threat of losing his position and livelihood as a doctor tipped him over the edge. Though he did not leave that suicide note, he felt that, you know, he should leave that little passage of design, uh, divine comedy. Yeah. It, it, like I said before, it was just, it's this touch of narcissism. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to go down while I'm taking everybody with me. Oh man. But yeah, like this is pretty much textbook right here. It's why, you know, fathers, husbands do this and commit family side, which is heartbreaking, terrible. Yeah. And also like, no offense, but you are a coward. You're going to bludgeon your family to death, mm-hmm. or you're just gonna like give yourself pills. Right. Go <laughs> fuck yourself. Like right. I'm sorry. That is ridiculous. I know. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And you know, this is where the like you said, the lore mm. begins. Where people are like, Whoa, well, here's a house now with history. Right. And like very dark history and then it becomes a it just has this morbid like facade people become very enamored with it because Mm -hmm. of its morbid history and we go into what happens to the house Mm -hmm. now yes after this murder is committed uh murder suey as we call it murder suey murder suey is is committed and first off you know this is already panning out to paint the house as if it's a curse. Mm -hmm. So if what I researched, the house was built in 1925 by Harry Schumacher. And uh, the guy that designed it was Harry E. Wiener. And when Schumacher died, he died in the house. And the house was sold, get this, in December 6th, 1932. No. He dies, and he dies in the house. And the house is sold December 6th. No. So a lot of paranormal fanatics, or what I like to call paranerds, like to point out that it was, you know, touches on the same date as Harold's that, meltdown and murder suey. I did not know that. That is insane. I didn't know it either because I was like, well, who, like, what is the yeah, history of the yeah, house? Yeah, yeah. Because I know that the house, like, this house was was a little old. Mm-hmm. And then I find out, oh, yeah, it was built in the, in the mid-20s. And then... Frederick Zelnick moves into the house. And if you don't know who Frederick Zelnick is, because I didn't, he's a German silent film uh, cinema director. And um, he was a director who was forced to flee Germany for London after Hitler rose to power in 33. He moves to Los Angeles and he lives into the house. He lives until uh, 1950 and he dies. He also dies in the house. And so that's when the Perelsons come in and they move in and they buy this house. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's insane. And there was a rumor that a another person had died in that house, too. It was a person in relation to Zelnick who was playing tennis and was staying at Zelnick's. He got injured in a game. Um, he didn't think anything of the injury. He goes to sleep and he doesn't wake up. He dies oh in the God. house and he dies due to an infection of that injury while playing tennis. Yeah. Don't play tennis. Y'all. Don't play tennis at all. That's the <laughs> one thing we can take away from this. Oh my God. So this was, this was a story that I found like based on the history mm-hmm. of the house. So there you go. Now you have like what we always say, layers of all this mm-hmm. residue that is building up. And in this one, especially, I really feel like almost the hotel, I think is this totally applies as well. Mm-hmm. But the house takes on this sort of persona or like mm-hmm. it is a full-on player in this story. Yeah. Especially now as we move forward 
into like the modern era, it the legend is regarding the house. Like, yeah, of course, this like family and the trauma that they went through is the start of it. Mm-hmm. But this house is like its own entity. Entity. It's so crazy. It's it's super crazy. And we're gonna touch yes. on on the future of this home because it's even crazier. So. What happened to the house after the murder? So the house is sold in the 60s in an auction to a couple. They're called the Enriquez's. They only use the house for storage. And at one point, they rented it out to another family just for a short bit of time. Uh, so they pass away in 92, the Enriquez's. And the house has been passed down to their son, Rudy. And Rudy just lets the, the house sit there for another 13 years until he passes away in 2015. So the reason why they, based on Rudy, when he was asked, like, why didn't you move into the house? Why didn't you guys live there? Well, they wanted to use it for storage. They spent all this money, you know, in this beautiful home just to keep it as storage. Like, you couldn't take it to a storage plus or I anything. Mean, like, it must be nice to be rich. Like, <laughs> oh, we're just going to buy our little storage mansion. Uh, yeah, a mansion that we're going to store a lot of crap in. Do so you, you need someone to live there for free and to I carry know, your stuff? I'll just do it yeah, for free we'll in organize. Los Feliz. Yeah, Done. So, according to Rudy, the reason why they use it as a storage house is because his family had a lot of connections with a lot of, like, star couples mm-hmm. and star families. Um, when they got rid of furniture, they took on the furniture, and they just stored it there with hopes that, oh, we could, you know, either sell it or auction it or whatnot. It was just there just for them to collect and hoard all this stuff. Weird. And so... And, an, and this is what's very interesting. Before Rudy passed away, he was interviewed by the LA Times. And when he was asked if he would ever sleep or live in that house or even move there, he replied, I don't know that I want to live there or even stay there, especially in the house where a murder happened. Oh, no. I know. <laughs> when asked by reporter Bob Poole if he knew about the rumors of ghosts in his property, Enrique said, tell people to say their prayers every morning and evening and they'll be okay. So he always seemed to like bypass that question. Like, Mm -hmm. was the house haunted? What is the aftermath of this house? Which segues me into the paranormal activity or the paranormal (laughs) aftermath of this home. So what is what happened after Mm -hmm. the Perelsons moved away? Well, the rest of the kids moved away. So the house lays dormant and visitors and neighbors. This is what they claimed. They claim to have seen weird blue and green lights around the property. They have seen faces in the windows. Uh, They have heard screams at night between the hours of 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. in the morning. And at times the mansion, the mansion had an alarm. So at times the alarm had gone off unexpectedly in the wee hours of the night for no reasons. Could it, you know, be possible mm-hmm. that it was just, you know, paranormal enthusiasts or even squatters trying to break into the house? Right. Because that was another issue that the neighbors were dealing with is that people were trespassing onto the property. You had thrill seekers and paranormal investigators just making their way on there just to see, you know, mm-hmm. if they could find something out of the ordinary. But every time someone would go and kind of walk around the property just to check on it, one of the neighbors would do this. No one would be there. So it could be, you know, paranormal or maybe it was someone who was trying to break in and got scared off by the alarms Mm -hmm. and ran away. You know, could be. Investigators have claimed to have seen a woman's face on the second floor window of the house, which they believe to be Lillian. And Jeff Mache, writer of TheMedium.com, had interviewed a neighbor. So in his interview, he interviews Cherie Watterson, which she told the Times that a friend of hers tried one night to explore the mansion in what she described as a Nancy Drew moment. <laughs> I know. I'm going to have a Nancy Drew moment. Who hasn't Cherie? <laughs> so I'm having one right now. <laughs> the women sneak into the house through the back door, but they don't get too far because of the burger alarm is sounded off. Soon, um... Cherie's friend, her hand was throbbing painfully. She looks down. She's bitten by a black widow. And there is a red streak going up her arm. And she had to go to the doctor, says Watterson. So two nights later, the alarm kept going off at Watterson's house through her back door. And whenever she would go and investigate, no one was there. It was like as if probably something would follow them back to her house, which could be a possibility because sometimes 
these things can follow you. Oh, yeah. Do not tell me that. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. I know. It's like having a really bad, you know, one night stand. Ugh. But this one lasted two nights for her. No. Yeah, so much for your Nancy Drew moment. No. Cherie. Oh, Cherie. <laughs> there was a YouTube video by a creator, Get It Girl. And this is where it gets really interesting. So this YouTube video um, was filmed in 2013. So she gets full access into their home by the new homeowners because at this time, the home is finally sold. And we'll go into detail about who Mm -hmm. had bought it. So they're allowed access and they're allowed to record and investigate. Mm -hmm. So she brings in a paranormal investigator and clairvoyant. And upon entering the property, he mentions that he feels a heavy weight of dread. They go up to the second floor and the investigator is overwhelmed with emotion. When he enters the parents' bedroom, he also mentions that Harold and Lillian's bedroom is the heaviest of all rooms. He felt a wave of sadness and a wave of remorse. He said that, you know, this is the, this is the worst room out of the whole entire property. Not to mention the new owners are in the process of doing a major renovation of the home and everything inside is completely gutted. So Lord knows what has shifted Mm. in that place. Mm -hmm. God, I hope we don't see a headline in the future about this place and the new owners, you know, like husband of the couple that bought the house, you know, you know, or murdered or whatever. Creepy. Yeah. So who are these people that bought this home? You're never going to believe it. So it's Lisa Bloom, who is the daughter of, Gloria Allred, who is the celebrity. Yes. You have a semi, you know, you know, a celebrity and her husband, they they buy this house. So they pretty much buy this house in auction for $2.3 million. Jeez. And according to um and, uh, and just a just a little preface to Lisa Bloom is a civil rights lawyer and she was an NBC News analyst. And, of course, her mom is Gloria Allred. So um, in an article with the L.A. Times, she tells them what we're really doing is overlaying a story of love over a story of hate. Mm. So she's, you know, she's coming in there with the best intentions. Mm. You know, she's trying to bring more light into a place of darkness. Mm. So the idea to buy it came months ago when her husband read about it and sent a link to his wife with a note want to move to your favorite neighborhood so she responded yes with three exclamation points on it pollock said she doesn't just throw out three exclamation points for nothing (laughs) (laughs) when it's three exclamation points you know lisa gets what she wants so hilarious i use like 15 (laughs) (laughs) exclamation exclamation point exclamation point emoji face yes oh my god So they plan to settle in after several months of renovating. Uh, The remake involves expanding rooms, transforming a ballroom into a home theater and adding front decks while preserving the original architecture. Pollock says it's just a fantastic house. Pollock is also a skeptic. She does not Mm -hmm. believe in ghosts. She does not believe in the paranormal. According to her, she really hasn't felt anything, Mm -hmm. but... I am definitely going to be keeping tabs yeah. of of them because I am just worried that something I just have this feeling because it, it, like if you see this video on YouTube from get it girl like it the house is completely gutted. Wow. It is completely gutted inside. So in positions like this when you go into a home that has a lot of history and negative energy you don't know what shifted in mm-hmm. there during that process mm-hmm. and it always seems to fall through the lines of like, you know, something has been stirred up and something's going to come out and get you. Oh, no. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, I mean, hopefully it's that thing. Like, I I think her shield of like disbelief, but also like acknowledging that the history happened. Yeah. I think that's like a very strong shield for her of just like, no, like love in this darkness will like overcome that and i think that's really beautiful that yeah like, yeah you might not believe in like the paranormal aspect of it mm-hmm. but at the very least you're like respectfully acknowledging that like something horrible happened here and that like you can rewrite the narrative and i think that's really awesome yeah 
she her. is a very strong woman. Like, yeah. if you've ever seen her on television, like, she's very, very grounded. That's amazing. And in the city, in my opinion, in the city, that's what you need. You need to be very, very mm-hmm. grounded. And she's like, I'm not afraid of no ghosts. I'm really be, grounded. Yeah, you gotta be grounded and you gotta be tough. Tough. And she's very, very tough. She's that's all of amazing. that. But that's cool. Like, I mean, I'm glad that she's going in there. Usually some people will go in there and flip it and turn it into mm-hmm. an Airbnb and make a profit. Sure. If you think about it, that would be a smart move, especially in the city. People want to profit off you of it. You can market it as the haunted house. As the haunted uh, yeah, house. 100%. And surely you'll get people from all over the world wanting to spend a night in the murder house. Mm-hmm. You'll get all these paranormal investigators like, oh, we're going to spend a week here in mm-hmm. Airbnb and investigate this home. Like, it, you think, you know, people would do that. And she didn't. She's like, no, I want to live in this neighborhood. I'm going to turn this house into my dream home and I'm going to, you wow. know put my love and energy into it so that's so cool good luck to her <laughs> yeah just like maybe take vacations on december 6th yeah <laughs> for the rest of your life never be home ever <laughs> let's just start throwing a christmas party and invite her every december 6th just we'll just see if she ever shows up it'll be fine oh my god that's so true this <laughs> Like, honey, these two people from the valley keep inviting us to this weird Christmas party. Let's go. <laughs> You're sure, welcome. RSVP. We're saving your life. <laughs> <laughs> there was also, I forgot to mention this too, there was another speculation mm. that people were claiming. And it's also documented online. I, for, I left this out. But while the house was laid dormant, mm-hmm. there were furniture, clothing, and letters, even, you know, cans of SpaghettiOs. Oh. Uh, left behind like people that would go in this house they said oh it was a time warp it's like yeah. the, the house stood still after 1959 there was rumors that there was like a Christmas tree and there were like yes. presents still in the house like whoa so that was debunked because it turned out the Perelsons are Jewish right and the but the people the Enriquez is that when they bought the mm-hmm. home they had rented it out to a family the family were not Jewish. They had a Christmas tree and they had presents. The Christmas tree was still there. They they left and they left the Christmas tree. <laughs> that is where it came from. Because, yeah, that was good to know. I was like, well, you know, it said here in, in a lot of documents that they mm-hmm. were wrapping presents. Well, yeah, it could be. You know, they were probably wrapping presents for people that, you know. Yeah. Not, you know, celebrating the Jewish you, holiday. You can wrap Hanukkah gifts. You can. <laughs> All eight of them. <laughs> exactly. But here's another big question. If you had the money, if you had $2.3 million, Bryce, mm-hmm. would you buy that home? Yes. <laughs> owning property in LA is like the dream. So yes. Right? Yeah, I would. Right. Ex- I mean. It, th- I, I know. <laughs> I know. $2.3 million is not that bad. <coughs> Excuse me. I choked. I was so scared. <laughs> Um, I feel like 2.3 really doesn't even get you that. Anything. Like, honestly, had this house not sat dormant for so long and gone through auction and, mm-hmm. like, I don't think that you could buy, like, a normal mansion for no. 2.3. That's honestly on the low end. So they kind of got a steal. No, like, they did. Because my husband and I are looking for property. Good luck. I know. Even here in the <laughs> valley, it's yeah. a three-bedroom. I'm not kidding, guys. A three-bedroom, two Two bathroom home here, newly renovated, goes for one point eight million. Oh my god! One point eight million in the valley, and yeah. this is Los Feliz. So she's like, "Yeah, it's a steal." Yep. I know for a fact, like what they're putting in is one point five million. That's amazing. Into re- That's renovations, so it, yeah, you could tell like she's got plans. Uh, I mean, yes, I would definitely. Oh, a hundred. If I had two point three in the bank, definitely I'll buy property. Yeah. Because in another, you know, ten years. It's going to triple. Yeah, you'll only see... I mean, we're in a full-on housing crisis right now. Right. So you will only see your money returned. And Los Feliz is definitely gentrified. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure enough. Like, oof, rough. Yeah, you can't, afford, you can't afford to live in Los Feliz unless you're, you know, you come from money or you're making, like, mm-hmm. a ton of it each month. Like, it's insane. Yeah. It's so crazy. Uh, to be young and rich... Or something. I don't know. To be young and rich. Yeah. Oh, and With 2.3, I would buy the house, but then I would definitely go out of town and have one of those ayahuasca experiences. Smart. <laughs> I love it. That's what I would do. Yeah. I, you mean, you just have to like sage the fuck out of that house. I like, oh. would do that. Uh-huh. That's one thing I would do 
just to, just to cover your bases. Just making sure, just like being very safe. Mm-hmm. You know, would you have to have someone blessed at home before or after you gut it? No, I feel like it would be after, wouldn't it? I think it would be after. I don't know yeah. a ton about that, but I think it's once you're like live like once you're ready to live there Mm -hmm. that's when you would do it right i'm not sure what was the phrase katie said last week remember the like i acknowledge Uh, you but like give me my space just chanting that acknowledge you i respect you please give me just saying that my space (laughs) every every december 6th oh my god bryce i forgot to tell you oh no oh (laughs) I found out, if you haven't listened in, in like, the last episode, mm-hmm. but I found out there's a student that asked her mom to send her a freaking Ouija board. No. I know. <laughs> I know. Why? Sorry, I just banged on that table. I'm, like, I'm ready to flip this table like the Housewives of Beverly Hills. I'm I'm so fucking pissed. What? <sighs> Who is it? I cannot stand it. Don't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I found out one of my assistants told me, yeah, no. like not my, my roommate, but I think one of my neighbors, like she wants her mom to send her the Ouija board. I'm like, no, that is horrible. Do like not, that makes it worse. Do not open that doorway. There's Becky with the good hair. Now no. there's Becky with the fucking Ouija board. No. Fucking pisses me off. Like she's like, I'm going to summon the spirits of this apartment, this, this dormitory. Oh my God. No, it's such doesn't a close idea. or doesn't close the whole, you know, session, let alone knows how to close a fucking bar tab. Uh, she's not going to like fucking know how to close a session on no. a Ouija board. You're going to invite so much bad shit. Oh my god! That like, is a like yeah, like why idea. don't we just like open the door and let the demon come in? Yeah, right. God, I already told her like demons are like the STD of the paranormal world. You it's a can, bitch to get rid yeah. of them. Yeah. Oh, they don't have a shot for that. Uh uh-uh. uh mm-hmm. No, sorry. <laughs> oh god, I mean, takes more than holy water. I already cannot go in those dorms because it freaks me out so much. But I every time definitely I go in, go yeah, I know. Every time I go into the garage, to, you know, because we uh-huh. have the subterranean parking for the faculty there too. It's mm. is even scarier because I I I see the the gym and a lot of students have told me like they get the heebie-jeebies with the gym. They don't <sighs> like being there. Because energy is attracted to the lowest and highest of places. That's the thing. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. That's why it's like, well, the basement's so haunted or it's very scary or the attic is like so messed up and scary as a lot of energy. Yeah. But a friend of mine told me, yeah, that they're more attracted to the lower and the highest of places, which Weird. makes sense. Yeah. 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 <sighs> Are you ready to take this to an end? To yeah, a close? because I'm never, I'm never going <laughs> back to work. Drink. So great. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, how do you write a resignation letter? re a Ouija board is that a is that a good reason I know. oh god no how would you start that resignation letter why are you leaving Ouija board Ouija board Ouija uh, board your students are messed up they uh, had a Ouija board I can't no. do this uh, no <laughs> I know I know oh my it's god. so messed up do not do that do not do that at all unless you have I mean there are ways to do it mm-hmm. I heard that there's ways to to do a session but you have to know how to close it and that's where people fuck it up mm-hmm. it's because they're like they don't say goodbye they don't know how to close it out Oof. i know i know that. i've never done i've never no once i did i've done you know a little ouija board session mm-hmm. when i was in middle school but the girl knew like to close it out because it's in the directions like okay so use planchet tell the you know the spirits goodbye gotta tell them bye yeah when you did it did it like work no Really? No. I guess it's because the girls that we were with were like, oh, this is not working. They're giggling and laughing. They weren't mm-hmm. taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. But we well, didn't see or just feel as, anything. As with anything. Like, yeah. What you bring to these kinds of things, I think, really affects that. Yeah. It's like what I was saying about this woman that lives there now. Is like, I think her being like, no, I'm not going to like play into that. It's right. such a powerful weapon against any possible like residual energy. Because she's closing herself. She really, yeah. And I think that's the thing is like, of course you didn't. Because if you go into it thinking that it's like silly and not treating it like mm-hmm. nothing, like nothing would happen anyway. Mm-hmm. It's like a formula, I think, where... Part of it is what has happened, and part of it is the energy that you bring to. One hundred percent agree. That marriage is when, you know, things happen. I think. Well, that's what I brought up in the earlier episodes, like with right. the Amityville house. You yes. know, oh, you know the the family that moved in after the massacre, like they were experiencing, like they were experiencing a lot of stuff because they were meddling with a mm-hmm. lot of that stuff. They were really big into the spiritual world. They were playing with things, and that was based on um, Elaine. Elaine Warren's account mm-hmm. 
but the people that moved in afterwards after that family left they didn't experience a damn thing and elaine said you know because they weren't open they weren't meddling into this world of ours wow yeah they were very closed off very closed off like it's, it's almost like a wall so i mean that's probably what lisa bloom has she has a very firm yeah. wall you're not going to get through this wall yeah <laughs> tear down this wall i know <laughs> oh my god that is so crazy well, let's take this episode to a close let's then because I'm ready for a drink after this. <laughs> I know. All right, guys. So we def- before we take this to a close, I definitely want to make a shout out to our spiritual bays of the week. First off, we have Color Me Dead podcast. They are true con- crime podcasts, a balance of humor and all the information you crave. Angel and Nikki are the bays that don't give a shit. <laughs> Flip the hair. No, they deliver those gory details you crave topped with dark humor and squirrel hunts. Ooh. They're freaking crazy but i love them it's like they do not give a shit and they're gorgeous and i follow them and stalk them on instagram and then we want to give a spiritual shout out to our another one of our spiritual bays lights out frights out these witches tell um, scary tales of terror complimented with champagne and a mic that's the perfect combo i know isn't it (laughs) we give you crazy witches snaps because in their episodes, they're always like, oh, we give you snaps, guys. Snaps. Aww. They're so adorable. I love them. <laughs> they're so visible on Twitter. I love reading their posts and everything. Yes. So we see you gals, and we adore the crap out of you. Another big shout out to our spiritual bay is Tina and Callie. Yes, Callie girl. Thank you for the amazing review on our yes, iTunes. Thank you so much. That was so sweet of you. We really appreciate it. And that's another thing that we want to drop on, guys. Mm-hmm. If you love Holly Weird Paranormal, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. It really helps us out a lot mm-hmm. and it helps us become a little more visible, especially for all us indie podcasters. It really does help us out yeah. a lot. So if you guys can do that on our iTunes, we would love you to death yes. pun intended uh, <laughs> Bryce you want to tell everyone where they can find us I do the back alley oh no <laughs> wrong wrong sorry uh, you can love find it. us on iTunes mm-hmm. you can find us on Blueberry yes. SoundCloud you can find us on Podknife yes that's, that's new we've yes. been very excited about that we're so excited about Podknife that's another spiritual play we yes, should be dropping so many this week I it's know. been such a cool week yes bae bae <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, until next time, thank you so much. We're going to take two weeks off because we're Mm going to have a really sweet-ass episode. Yes. Yes, because it's going to be based on my hometown. And uh, it surprisingly has a weird, twisted ending here in the city of Los Angeles. Crazy. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook if you want to know what we're talking about. And especially on Twitter, you can find us at HWP Podcasts on Twitter and at Hollyweird Paranormal on Instagram and Facebook. All right, guys. Have a fantastic week. Yes, bye. Always stay weird. Bye. <laughs>